Yeah, I don't know, man. You ever just feel like life is just catapulting towards like, some greater purpose? The only DJ crazy enough to tattoo Jackie Brown on his ass. This is Michael Mann, and I ride with extended clip. Welcome to Extended Clip. It is episode 273, and I am one of your hosts, Eddie Averill. I'm Malcolm Baum. I'm JT White. And today, everybody's favorite recurring miniseries, the Extended Clip Executive Decision returns. See, I'm going a little bit in my uh, YouTuber voice. Good, good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we need that pep in our step. Yeah, we, we need, need high energy. Look hey. alive. I mean, like, I think it works. Like, it's just bad content, though. That's the thing. Like, I like making good content. But <laughs> that, that clickbait vlog that I work for, you know, the videos I'm in make, whatever, 9,000 views in the first couple days. And it's like, holy shit, I'm just, you know, uh, I'm a thumbnail man now. You know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a talking head thumbnail <laughs> man. If only extended clip podcasts made 9,000 views in the first hour. But... You know, yeah, then I would have to be titling the episodes, you know, Denis Villeneuve fans have lost their minds. <laughs> the worm did what in Dune? <laughs> what? Huge update regarding the worm in Dune. <laughs> the, the worm is uh, questionable to appear in Dune 2, you know, during the release date. He'll decide uh, whether he'll be in the movie or not. You see the thumbnail is like the worm and then in a little bubble it's Timothy Chalamet and the title is like was the worm ducking Paul? <laughs> the thing is that does exist like you movie you, clickbait vlogger YouTuber that's, stuff like for movies yeah, no, absolutely those guys are, they get that's, huge. Yeah, no, that's who we're competing with when we do reviews of, like, the new Christopher Nolan movie or something like that. That is straight up our competition. So maybe next time we do, like, one of the kind of bro auteurs uh, that we still kind of take a bit seriously, uh, we, we should frame the episode like that on YouTube, you know, do a <laughs> yeah. real full shot, reverse shot, like, debate like those guys who always <laughs> pop up on the timeline arguing yeah. about stupid shit. Yeah, that, talking that's about... A whole that's a whole different world that we don't know anything about. Too. Yeah. Like the YouTube movie review scene. You know what I mean? That's kind yeah. of like uncharted, scary waters. I don't know what's going on over there. I don't Just know put out thinking. the same podcast that's eight minutes long twice. And once the title <laughs> is Denis Villeneuve, the most overrated. And then the second one is Denis Villeneuve is next level. <laughs> and it's the same podcast. <laughs> that's a good move. That's a good move. They call it AB marketing. Really? What, is, yeah. what does that stand for? A to well, B? it's well, no, it's like A B. You're or it's A B testing rather. Okay. Yeah, and you're putting two things out that are the same thing. Oh, A and B. A and B. Okay. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah, you're seeing which yeah, one's yes. better. Yeah, I, I I do that with the podcast sometimes. You know, <laughs> I'll put I'll put up a link through Spotify and I'll be like, oh, this is the new podcast. And I'll do it on like Apple Music. See which one uh, you know more people respond to. That's a little peek behind don't, the curtain. Don't give for away you. all your secrets. Yeah. Look, that's the thing. That should be the new promise is every time we do one of these extended clip executive decision episodes, you get one secret of the show. The secret is sometimes I do a little A B testing. <laughs> a, a financial, like success based secret. You know what I mean? Like uh, nothing salacious or anything like that, you know. 
So you might be wondering, what is the extended clip executive decision? For people who donate at the executive producer tier on the Patreon, uh, you will get to select the topic of an episode. We've had some stellar picks in the pack, uh, in the past, and in the pack. We've had some long movies, uh, such as Mysteries of Lisbon, uh, and some other three-plus chunkers, and this one is no exception. Uh, our friend Jake selected this one, The Mother and the Whore by Jean Eustache, which is a hefty, hefty 200-plus minute movie. And, uh, I mean, before we get into the movie, I just wanted to say shout out to the man, Jake, who did suggest this one. You are the executive producer of this episode of Extended Clip. You're going to receive a lot of profits from, uh, you know, investing in this episode, <laughs> you know what I mean, as an executive producer. We all, we all know it's about the turnaround, so. Yeah. yeah, you have been hired, and your first duty is to find and hire two more people to be <laughs> executive producers. Just turn this into, like, a triangle or... Yeah, multi-level marketing scheme. A triangle scheme. scheme. <laughs> that's, 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 if we tried to do it, it'd be a triangle scheme, not a pyramid scheme, you know? It'd be too, <laughs> too dimensional, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, the Mother and the Whore by Jean Eustache is the movie we're talking about today, though, uh, 1973. This movie is something else, all right. Uh, you see Jean-Pierre Léod, uh, Alexandre, kind of struggle between his his main lover who he lives with, uh, Marie, and this new girl he's pursuing, uh, Veronica, and I guess you could say one is the mother because she is more uh, mature and the one who lets him stay at her apartment, and the other one is the whore because she admits very easily that she is easy. Uh, she admits very early on that she is easy. I guess she admits it easily too. She's very free and willing. Well, she's willing to offer up all this like very explicit yeah. sexual information about herself, especially as she gets closer to the Jean-Pierre Layoud character. But I think that's something that was very highly remarked upon about this film is that like, the sexual content, despite not having a lot of actual like sex scenes or whatever, the sexual content in this movie is incredibly explicit yeah. it's like if eric romare characters were just like you know describing sex positions to you essentially uh mm -hmm. it, it, it's like a very weird uh like semi-detached i would actually not even say semi it's a very weird detached sense of sexuality where uh the movie is frankly about sex you know and lust and desire and how that entangles with love and relationships uh but the movie is very detached when it comes to sex as i said like the uh you know it's like frank stark black and white uh frank monologues about sexual experiences that usually are not very positive uh, and it's it's a uh it's a very gripping movie because of that all three performers are like just magnetic to the camera and you could just watch them talk and go through their kind of uh, petty faux working class almost post 68 malaise parisian lifestyle uh where jean-pierre Layot is like a journalist refusing to get a real job basically but can't afford anything so he just like you know uh lives with whatever girl is allowing him to sleep with her at that point in time and yeah it's a it's a very interesting dynamic in terms of uh the french new wave looking back at that 10 years later and the effects of post 68 france or post 
was May 68, France, and also just a really gripping drama and uh, very well stylized, very stark black and white, high contrast. I mean, the shots, the exteriors in Paris are almost underexposed. It feels like the, the night is just full of mystery and darkness and weirdness. And, you know, Leo talks about falling in love with night people, and the, it's such an elusive mystery of like the city at night because it's not that classic, uh, almost overexposed way of lighting nighttime scenes. And yeah, I, I really loved this movie. No, yeah, I mean, this is a yeah, pretty impressive chunk of a movie, you know, and uh, it's it's a movie I was always interested in. But again, the long runtime, you know, I'm like, eh, I'll get around to it. And I guess that's what the executive decision is for, you know, long movies, you know, we forcing us to sit out in the seat and watch the movie. But um, yeah, I mean, just, uh, you know, what you described, what goes on, it's this, you know, this love, tri- we got a classic love triangle going on here. But uh, it's so steeped in realism, you know what I mean? And kind of like this dedication to, I don't know, very like long conversations that you experience kind of in real time. And, you know, and especially these characters, you know, they meander, you know, they, the Jean-Pierre Lot Alexandre, especially, I mean, he could, he's a masterclass in talking about nothing. I mean, that's about <laughs> at, least an, at least an hour of the movie. It's just Jean-Pierre Lot, you know, kind of uh, stalling not stalling, but kind of just going down these meandering paths and conversations. And uh, yeah, and like the kind of like, um, I don't know, like talking about the realism, like, I don't know, like you hear like the cars on the street in in whatnot, like, you know, you hear like the, in terms of like audio, it just feels very, uh, you really do experience things as the characters experience them. And uh, you know, it's, it's one of those talking movies, right? Like, you know, talking is the main event in this movie. And I have to say these characters in their kind of the tortured lives that they live and kind of exploring that it's a, uh, it's, it's kind of terrifying to watch in a way, but it's, it's a, uh, I don't know. It's, it, that's hard to achieve. You know what I mean? And it, it doing that is a great accomplishment. I also had heard of this film before and like, I don't know, it has a big reputation and I feel like you go into something like this. I really didn't know all that much about it or what to expect. Um, but yeah, I'm just like stunned by the frankness of it, especially in terms of like auto critique. Like I feel uh, I had read that like Eustache, the layout character is like pretty directly based on him. And like that is like such a negative <laughs> portrayal yeah. of yourself to just be like just a pompous windbag kind of talking out your ass all the time, like just sort of playing with like uh various women's feelings and again like with what you're saying eddie in terms of like the frankness in which the film like talks about sex this is a little different from just like being uh frank about uh himself i i don't know i'm surprised i know there are a lot of movies about sex and sexuality is i think a lot of what entices people to images either pornographic or otherwise yeah but it's uh I don't know. I'm just surprised there aren't more movies that like have kind of this uh, that casual kind of conversational tone. I mean, I'm not saying that like um, like this is necessarily how everyone talks about sex, mm-hmm. but I don't know. It's a it's a relatively I don't know plain matter of fact way. It's just su- I was surprised in films of this era. I feel like I'm not hearing people say like cock or cunt mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. nearly as often as they do here. 
And that, I don't know, just had me thinking about the way, like, sexuality is portrayed a lot in movies, but I feel like they're not large, weighty conversations about it that happen in this film. You know, it's interesting, the Romer comparison. This is like the movie that, like, Romer made movies about these types of people and like this is like this movie kind of feels like this is what their life is actually like you know what i mean you know what I mean? like when they're is, not on vacation when you're not on vacation when you know in the day-to-day kind of struggle of it because romer definitely like idealized women and whatnot and like you know kind of almost there'd be kind of like a appreciating them from afar type quality in his work sometimes and like this one it just it feels so real and it you know uh, like in the way people talk to each other it's like uh it's kind of ultimately it's like how do you like write this stuff down and perform it right like it's there must be i don't is is that going on is there some sort of apparently they did not deviate from the script very much at all which uh, apparently which, it was like a word perfect type which, thing which uh, that's even more impressive to me because that's yeah that's it's kind of insane how he captures the beginning and end beginning, middle and end of a conversation and makes it feel so real, makes it feel how you would have it with a real person. Cause there are a lot of like talking movies, but JT's right. They're like, I haven't seen a lot of movies that really dedicate itself to really steeping itself in the, the ebbs and flows of a real conversation. Well, yeah, I think the other poll that you could compare this to on the other end of the spectrum for, you know, this era of French cinema would be someone like Jacques Rivette, who has very long, languid movies, but the performance style is almost the opposite. And they both use Laode, you know, the performance style is so different where Jacques Rivette is, you know, invoking theater and acting itself. Whereas Eustache here is like, just letting things play out so long it's almost like frederick wiseman or something yeah. like that uh like somewhere in between hong sang su and frederick wiseman where you're just like forced to like let these things play out in such painfully long takes of people saying painfully long monologues at each other uh and it's it's wonderful because of that it's such a unique novel approach to a conversational film I also love the way that it unveils its structure. That's another way it uses the length well, is that he doesn't go home until like 20 minutes into the movie. So we start with him kind of feuding with the first uh, side piece, if you will, that he discards or gets discarded by, uh, and then seeing Veronica at the cafe and you know starting that thing and getting back with that other girl a little. And then 20 minutes later, uh, you see him actually go home and we see Marie, uh, who it's like what what is this his mom or something <laughs> you know uh, like if yeah the literally like <laughs> No, but this is his lover who's a bit older than him and uh, lets him crash at her place. And uh, I, I really love that. It's almost like the uh, I, I hate that this is what I thought of because it's such a disparate comparison. But the pilot of Mad Men where he doesn't even like get home and you don't see Betty until like the end of the episode. <laughs> He's just kind of been out fucking around doing his thing the whole time. And that's like the reveal is like, oh, yeah, Annie has a family. <laughs> <laughs> I like how it plays with uh, duration in that sense, especially like it's just again, you I don't know you could get so absorbed in these conversations like when you have like a reveal like that, it totally like snaps you into the realization like, oh shit, we're we haven't even like learned about uh, these other aspects of his life. And even though it's like Marie's 
uh, apartment. It feels like, I don't know, one of the classic male living spaces yeah. in a movie. Just him like sitting on a bed in shoes, like listening to records. Like that <laughs> setup is so classic and so funny. Yeah, it is, it is like um, the lives these people lead. Like their apartments are super like messy, you know what I mean? And like uh, it's it seems like, you know, with Jean-Pierre Lode, like he's living from where, you know, what whether he's going to live or not, not live, but have a place to live is, you know, dependent on, you know, if the girl he's seeing has an apartment. That's a pretty funny line. Like two hours in, he's like, I always yeah. make sure the girls I'm seeing have an apartment because I don't have one. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that is an all timer uh, <laughs> pickup artist line. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, women love helping a guy out you know what i mean it is just funny how like in terms of like it being reflection on its life it is like this is like laid bare and like so negative you know and it's just kind of impressive to i don't know to have that amount of self-reflection without any sympathy you know what i mean and it's like I, i feel like there's a lot of works where there's aspects of that but it you know they kind of pull their punches and here it's definitely some uh he's really given it to himself if what he says is true you know this is like yeah. his lifestyle or whatever yeah i mean it's it's no holds bar you think and again with the slow doling out of info you know you, it's like he gets home and you're like oh wow he's just been cheating on this girl the whole time and you see uh she's in the other room and he's calling the girl veronica and he's like i'm just thinking like man that is flagrant. He's calling this girl for a date while his girl's in the other room. And then it's revealed that, you know, she comes in and they talk about it and everything. And it's revealed that they kind of each have their own little trysts, despite it being much more uh, one-sided on Jean-Pierre Layaud's side of things uh, on, you know, his ability to be with other women compared to hers with other men. And that's when the kind of dynamic of the film is introduced as he's kind of bouncing between these relationships relationships and uh yeah i just i really admire just like uh the the lived in space that you're describing jt like the male living space for sure but it's also like you know those memes of like uh this is where every e-girl is posting from and it's just like a pile of shit on the floor with a laptop you know like that's definitely this girl's lifestyle like she literally just gets home and plops down on the mattress that's on the floor you know and she has all her records that's all you really need she's got you know uh some king crimson some uh some deep purple uh the oldies too can't forget the oldies they love the oldies yeah oh well leode's always spinning the real oldies stuff i think marie is more into the rock leode never drops the needle on a rock song he he likes (laughs) the rolling stones but only because he likes popular music, as he explains. He uh, he only likes popular music, and the Rolling Stones are no longer popular. Uh, and we do see a copy of their, at the time, latest record, Sticky Fingers, uh, the uncensored cover, uh, with the the penis bulging in the pants right beneath, or right behind Marie's head at one point. Uh, for all you classic rock fans out there. <laughs> also, uh, the other record you see is, of course, In the Court of the Crimson King, uh, which is a great, you know, needle drop to have in this. It, you know, they were listening to the good stuff. That's all I'm saying. These people had good taste. They may have, you know, done some bad things in their life, but at least they were, you know, they were probably seeing good movies. 
you know, what? they're listening to good music, well. probably reading good books. <laughs> yeah, you got to distract yourself from the complete unpleasantness of your life in some other way. Because he's like, it's just wild how like uh, he just doesn't have a job. He like talks about like uh, going to the cafe to read, and I feel like you see him a little bit at the beginning, but clearly just to pick up women. Yeah, it's and to so get drunk funny. at the yeah. cafe. Yeah. Too. <laughs> like he's not getting coffee; he's getting whiskey yeah. at the cafe every time, which is so funny. You know, makes a lot of references to movies and literature mm-hmm. and all that stuff, but we don't really see him reading or watching that many movies. You know what I mean? He's kind of a, you know, he likes it's. You know, it's funny. It's like, oh, you know, at least he listens to the good stuff, right? It's like it's kind of like that's the fault of this character. Is yeah, that he like, and he so, doesn't even like good music yeah, either. Like true. he just likes like opera songs and shit like that, like weird old timey shit. He's like dedicated his life to, well, obviously he's dedicated his life to womanizing, but like, you know, when you talk to him, he's dedicated his life to like, it's so funny that he's a journalist. I totally forget that he's a journalist. Like he's just some sort of like, because you don't see him write at all. Yeah. Yeah. Or like, (laughs) I thought of him as just like a vague, like aspiring intellectual, I guess, you know what I mean? Who, cause that's essentially what he is in like him trying to like, uh, have like these very weird specific views that that's what kind of stuck out to me is like through the dialogue is that this Jean-Pierre Lode Lode character like Alexandra he always when he's talking like he just finds like weird angles and stuff and like kind of just like I don't know goes off on tangents from that mind space and like Mm -hmm. you could just tell that the other characters are like you know uh Veronica is just like completely lost sometimes and like like I love at the beginning when they first meet, right? Or not when they first meet, like their first date or whatever, you know, Alexander, he gets stood up, right? And then the next time, you know, they meet up and like, she's like, oh, I'm sorry for like standing you up. He's like, no, it's it's actually good that you stood me up. Like, that's actually good. <laughs> and she's like, what? Like, he's like, yeah. And no, it's like, now we have like a basis and like a beginning. And we could like, <sighs> there's so much of that in this movie of him coming to an opinion that, you don't even exactly know where the start of this became, you know what I mean? Like, how did this, how did he develop this opinion? Like, we don't see the start of it where he, you know, in his younger years where he had all these opinions. It's just like, he's living the most, he's the least agreeable guy of all time. (laughs) People, especially in relationships, right? Sometimes you say something expecting a certain response in terms of comfort or something like that. And it's like, he's, it's completely alien to him or rather that he kind of just avoids it altogether maybe purposefully and it's it feels like a choice it feels like he's not missing social cues it feels more like he's making a choice to live his life as this superior intellectual type you know yeah that's that's kind of yeah it's like that's that seems to be the reasoning why he has these like strange opinions right it's Mm -hmm. like why it's like there's no there's no reason to think some of the things he's thinking of other than to like be original stand out as an intellectual yeah. which is like obviously where does that get you not not very far <laughs> he also he has his uh homie with the fucked up haircut who stole a wheelchair and he just goes over to his house he's like yo you saw that ss book <laughs> yeah just <laughs> he's like looking nazi at nazi p- <laughs> yeah just like looking at nazi books I'm like damn this was crazy yeah not like they're not like endorsing it they're just like this is pretty fucked up dude no, totally. I mean, it seems it seems like the friend is a little bit more into it than maybe him. You know what I mean? Yeah. Having having the books and, and I like that beat where jokingly going through like the the Nazi book and like 
Leod kind of flips through more and you see some of the, you know, more unpleasant images and you can kind of see his face shift a little bit, just being like, ah, jeez. Uh, I guess that stuff was pretty bad, huh? <laughs> One thing I like about this is that uh, Veronica is always drinking whiskey with Coke in this. And I don't know, I feel like just going back to the new wave stuff, Godard always made such a big deal about Coca-Cola. You know, he, like, he, he had that line, the, uh, the chi- this film is the child of Marxism and Coca-Cola. Is that masculine feminine or Lush and Oise or something like that? I'm not sure where he first... I, he drops it in a film and then it comes up throughout the rest of his filmography. Yeah, but I feel like, you know, him saying that in the 60s, pre-68, uh, like the fact that then this character's perspective on the film is fueled by uh, Coca-Cola, still that Americanism influence and everything, and whiskey instead of Marxism or whatever, <laughs> uh, is, is a good portrait of like the despair of younger French people after uh, the failure of 68 and everything. And it's something that you don't really see someone like Godard attempt to show dramatically. He'll show that in voiceover or he'll tell that in voiceover, mm-hmm. I guess. But I, I like the representation of that by Eustache here, this kind of a uh, disillusioned younger generation, not too young because they were young enough to be around, you know, uh, five, 10 years before this and see it all, how the tides turned and everything. So yeah, I just, found that very interesting it's kind of funny because godard he went out of his way to not be that guy right like throughout yeah. the 70s was very politically active you know made his filmmaking center around that and yeah this guy you know alexandra is is like yeah he's completely like dis- disillusioned by like politics in general it seems like and kind of uh and like uh i don't know his, it seems like you know like every like a lot of people it seemed like maybe he had idealist views or kind of like revolutionary views and then kind of the failure of may 68 just has left him to just be you know abandon all his moral scruples so to speak and what like and just develop well, he talks views. about it being like fear of violence when he actually saw the violence break out yeah and it like broke through his political views or something like that and that's like a pretty weak sentiment for like a person yeah. like uh if they want to be something of a political journalist or something like that <laughs> but that's maybe the deepest critique of the movie beyond mm-hmm. uh the womanizing and everything and like the horrific behavior it's implied that he hit that one girl until she bled at one point like in a past altercation so that's that's got to be up there for his worst crimes but uh you know being like this young political idealist journalist who at the site of violence at may 68 was like i'm scared i'm gonna stop being into politics now like that's a it's a pretty harsh auto critique of this uh, this you know autobiographical reading is to be believed yeah and just kind of the strange views that develop after that because like i feel like i mean there's so many monologues right but isn't there like there's a crazy monologue right where like he's basically saying he wants to go trad right or traditional or like he's mad at mm-hmm. yeah. abortionists or something yeah, like that I, yeah he yeah. well there he has a couple co- conservative monologues one is like i love that one where he starts off complaining about like murderers in the streets and he's like oh yeah. and by the way if you count abortionists that's even more murderers in the streets and then it just goes off on a total anti-abortion thing it's like whoa jesus christ buddy <laughs> think i I say the term mental maps a lot on this on this show it is it is like i think the movie does a great job in showing kind of like 
the warped mental map this guy has, you know, and it's, mm-hmm. it's kind of a, you know, it's unique. I'll give him that. And that's what he's looking for. <laughs> it, it is unique, but it, it is, uh, maybe that makes it even all the more worse in a way. I don't know. Yeah. It's interesting. I mean, also I feel like we see a little bit less, uh, interiority from the Marie character, but mm-hmm. Veronica, there are elements to it. I don't think like that the film is taking necessarily like a negative tone effect uh, towards the fact that she like sleeps around. No, but it just takes the, pity upon her. I yeah, think, no, yeah. but yeah, no pity. Like there are just some ways that she describes just like how she is getting fucked. That is just like, just so miserable. Like yeah. just like interns being like at the hospital that she works at, just being like, yeah, no, we're like trick, like trying to trick her into fucking her. And then just, but she, her being like, I went along with it, yeah. yeah like, whatever. It's and, harsh. And it's, like, it's not even... I feel like there's, like, an added just, like, brutality to it because the way she's telling it is not, like, her, like, I, I, like actively reflecting on, like, the trauma of those events. Mm-hmm. It's just, like, very... I mean, I would say, like, necessarily casual conversation, but it is recounted more casually uh, to Laod, who, like... His mind is just somewhere else entirely, <laughs> just completely not giving a fuck. Yeah. No, I mean, it is, It is. I think towards the middle of the movie, like, you really do get a sense of, like, you know, both these characters have kind of, like, uh, you know, Veronica, Veronique or whatever, and Alexandra, they kind of have, like, um, like, a sense of cruelty to them, you know what I mean? That they, they kind of, like, deliver in, like, very normal ways, you know, as to, like, well, what are you mad at me for? I'm just telling you how it is. And, like, I, I thought of a, a scene, you know, there's a lot of dialogue scenes, a scene that stands out that kind of relates to what you're talking about, JT, in terms of her recounting past experiences is, like, talking about, like, a lover she had and being like, just being like, he was so bad, like, he sucked. Them bonding over that, you know, I mean, that, I mean that's, a, that's a normal thing to do, but it is just given what happens before, like, I don't know, like, there, there's, like, a real palpable sense of uh, cruelty that they indulge in. There's so many avenues that this film goes down. Like, there are characters that'll just pop up for a little bit and then go away. There's this woman who, I guess, Jean-Pierre Laod's Alexandra had dated a while back, and then she had been in the United States for a while, and she comes back and has this goofy, giant cast over her hand. (laughs) uh, And they just, like, flirt for a little bit playfully but still just like as friends or whatever and then an hour later she pops up in the newspaper being accused of murder (laughs) (laughs) and i feel like the like the world existing beyond this very insular uh melodrama of polyamory is uh very funny because we didn't really get into what ends up happening so these you know affairs running concurrently end up running into each other of course and they experiment with just like all three spending the night together and how do you think it goes it's awful and weird and you know there's always one person who's very unsatisfied in any of those moments where all three of them are in a bedroom together or something like that Uh, especially when the two women are getting along like (laughs) even like in a non-sexual way when they're just like chilling like he's just getting purely humiliated because they're just ganging up on him like like basically taking the role of the audience, questioning all of his moves. But then in the end, it's like, eh, we're both into him. So whatever, you yeah. know, <laughs> and then the audience is like, well, we're watching the movie. 
We're watching three and a half hours. This, how much can I really hate this character if I'm watching a four fucking hour movie about him and I don't have to do it for a podcast, you know? Because, um, and I did, you know, I don't I don't hate this character. I think he's a bad guy or whatever, but I love watching Jean-Pierre Léod here just like blow smoke the whole fucking movie, metaphorically speaking. Like, he actually does, he takes baby hits of his cigarettes the whole movie, if you've noticed that. I don't know what, what's up with that. That might be like fake smoking for the camera or something. Well, but anyway, he he's just like such a fucking windbag in this. And it's so funny because he's one of the most charismatic and funny actors ever. Like there's a reason he's like the poster boy for not just the French new wave, but like seventies French new <laughs> French movies as well. Like he is a bona fide movie star and he's very funny in this. And uh, I, I just really like him at his darkest in this, just like, really bringing out the darkest parts of awful French masculinity uh, for whether it's like supposed to be played as, you know, gripping drama for dirtbags to relate to or, uh, you know, provoking satire for less or more moral people to look down upon and laugh at. You know, I think the truth is probably somewhere in between. And that's why you stash works so well here. It's like you have to understand that kind of psyche to portray, let alone critique it. And uh, it also reminded me of Renoir's La Chienne, which we talked about a little bit last week. And the that especially Furtado's line about it when he said it was a, a meat cute of wretched souls. I mean, this one is also like that. It's like the uh, post new wave version of La Chienne, really. It's this like romantic triangle with more new ideas about romance and everything and very much dialogue based in an art house movie that runs three plus hours. But it kind of has the same core of that, too. Uh, and I just, uh, yeah, I can't say enough good things about it. Yeah. I mean, to speak to what you're saying about Leod's presence and just like watching him and not like obviously detesting him, but there being something there. I mean, it just speaks to like, again, like that dirt bag, like type of guy. It's just like, I feel like it's an archetype that still exists in people. Like there are some people, you know, um, in life that do have that kind of like, effortlessly charming like quality of their personality it's like i don't know you see someone like that like i don't know guys at parties or other types of where it's just like how are like why is this person with them and obviously there's like a magnetic quality that like he's able to draw women in with and i think that like i know casting leode like as the the dude to do this like just makes perfect sense because like even though like I don't know, he's just just blowing smoke, has that like ridiculous sort of like scarf tie dangling. I hate that so fucking (laughs) much, man. I hate that foo-foo pirate shit so much. Kind of like his scruffy, you know, he's always wearing like some nice clothes, but he kind of looks scruffy, that type of stuff. Yeah, like, you know, I'm not saying his like layering game is bad or anything. (laughs) I just hate the fucking ruffled pirate fake fake tie. Like scarf tie combo is like disgusting. It's horrifying. And then his buddy pulls up is oh wearing God. the exact same thing. <laughs> His buddy's got like the uh, uh, a haircut that's a mix of the devil probably and Brian Eno in the 70s. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it is, it is, you know, I think speaking to the characters, it's like, you know, obviously if you were to make a movie where the whole point, it's like this character is bad. It's like, that's not really worth three and a half hours doing, right? Yeah. You know what I mean? It's, 
because to be honest, I don't find the character like the characters likable. Even you know the sympathetic characters in a sense, right? It's yeah. It's it's that it's that that these people are at least you know with Alexandra and you know Marie too. But it like the focus is on uh, uh, like the focus on Alexandra and Veronica is much more intense than that. These people are creating miserable lives for themselves. That they're they're dooming themselves due to their tendencies and kind of. Like the last moments of the movie, or not not the very last, but like the last stretch of the movie, I feel like you really realize that. You know, I made that joke at the beginning, like two chicks at the same time, that's every guy's dream, right? You know, and then it's like, you know, when we see that go down, you know, they're not, there's no threesome, but like they're in the bed just sleeping together. Or in, um, and like Leo's just like, he seems like less unhappy than he's ever been throughout the entire movie. Mainly because, yeah, they're calling him out on his BS, and he definitely gets humbled towards the back end of the movie by uh, Veronica or Veronique or whatever. But uh, it's 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 just like kind of that palpable sense of like these people are creating miserable lives for themselves is kind of more than anything, rather than like uh, I hate this, you know, Jean Pierre Lode character because I feel like that would be a big barrier, right, for someone to watch this movie. Mm-hmm. It's just like. I don't want to watch a three and a half hour movie about like some faux intellectual who goes off on annoying <laughs> monologues that you have to experience in real time as, <laughs> as if you were there with them. You know what I mean? I could see a lot of people being like, I don't, I don't want to spend my time doing that. You know, it's like, but I think kind of the journey, you know, the, what does it say? Uh, half of the vacation is the, the travel, right? Or something oh, like that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? I think you've gotten that wrong before, but yeah. this version's even better. Yeah, half exactly. of the vacation is the travel, baby. <laughs> half Love the it. joy. Half the joy is getting there, you know? Uh, yeah. I, think I, I don't know, dude. I, I prefer half the vacation's the travel. <laughs> well, I, I like what... Yeah, no. I like what you're saying about like condemning themselves to like misery because I don't think like I don't know. Obviously, that uh, polyamorous like open lifestyle. I don't think the film is an outright like condemnation of that. I know. I I think it is, dude. The first night they try it, one of them tries to kill themselves. Yeah, no. But I'm just saying that like they're like from the beginning their openness to their relationship. Like I'm saying that like it's something that it has potential. To, like there are couples where that type of thing works. I just think that like mm-hmm. because of their petty vindictiveness, mm-hmm. it's like inherently doomed. Like I don't think like I think the film is too complicated to be like outright like this is like uh, it's not like dogmatic in the sense yeah. where it's just yeah. like this is or like prescriptive in that yeah. sense. No, but I, I agree with that. You, like yeah. they're uh, just the way they are because like even like before they like join together. Like I'm just saying like the openness to their relationship like it's more like, about characters than like opinions on actual like relationships yeah, exactly. in real life yeah yeah for sure but yeah i think that's just like they're they're just so doomed there like why would you go through with that like if like marie like there are so many conversations where Leode and her are just like going back and forth where it's like oh no i love when you're like pissed off and jealous about it and that's like if you're in that type of thing and want that to remotely work. You should be talking about that kind of thing, but they just so like, I don't know the love hate is just so insane. Or even like with Veronique, the, the, you know, the character, like the monologue she gives at the end. Right. You know what I mean? Like, obviously like the movie kind of gives her a little bit of like, 
uh, high ground to kind of judge uh, Alexandra from. But it's like, you know, it's like the movie's not condemning like sleeping around with a bunch of men. It's like the mentality they have while doing it. It's not about what you do. It's about why you do it. Right. You know, and uh, Veronique, you know, she's, she's like miserable at the end saying, you know, saying like she doesn't even quite, you know, know why she, she does all of this, even though she gave multiple monologues explaining why she did, you know, lives that way. You know what I mean? So it is, I, I, I think the characters or the movie does a great job at like, I don't know, like people, you know, think they're living a certain way or doing a certain thing, but they're actually kind of like just making excuses for themselves and like enabling their own bad behavior and just not, you know, uh, actually making improvements to improve their life. And you really feel it at the end there. You know, I, I, yeah. I think the movie leaves you in a pretty uh, dark place. It absolutely does. And yeah, I, I agree. Like yeah. I, I, I got defensive saying it's not a, it, the movie is anti uh, polyamory. It's against their relationship. Yeah. Because yeah. Of, the of course. As you said. Yeah. Against their yeah because it's like, yeah, exactly. Like that's what you get out of a almost four hour character drama is you're not going to get stand-ins for grand statements. Like, all together there's going to be a lot of that like i said like the stuff about post 68 france and everything like that but i yeah i I feel like this is so much more about character specificity than anything and the the performances and the dialogue do such a good job at honing in on that specificity and i just uh i i can't say enough about this movie so i will stop and give it Four and a half bullets. Uh, a very strong outing from Jean Eustache. This goes alongside uh, La Belle Noiseuse as a certain type of movie. Now, this is a certain genre of art house movie where it's like purposefully unerotic, like it's a, a t- detached sense of eroticism. Um, but like the fact that the people who are rolling out to it are usually like kind of sexless movie nerds. They're like, Oh dude, that movie was like hot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Definitely a lot of jerkables in this movie. Right? Yeah. The re jerkables, yeah. Mr. Skin, the mother and the whore. <laughs> I watched this movie on rumble, which I thought was pretty funny. I, uh, what I, is I rumble. It's, it's a, it's a free speech video network that Dave Rubin conservative <laughs> figurehead uh, what? started out. and I, 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 I was just looking because we got a download link to this film but like like the VPN or I needed a yeah, VPN the whole mega me. situation yeah I didn't yeah. want to figure it out and so I just I knew rare film shout out rare film uh, they have a lot of stuff and I couldn't act the download link was gone but there was a streaming link for rumble and I guess maybe rumbles you know they're maybe they're not as tight on copyright and shit like that so uh it was just funny right after i watched the mother and the whore like i let the credits roll i like went to the bathroom and like i came back it's like a huge dave rubin uh conservative <laughs> podcast it's just on my tv screen so not, not, not so really good. related to the movie oh but, my like, god that's so awesome shout out to rumble the free speech network maybe a future sponsor <laughs> of the podcast maybe that's what we'll i would be hosting. love to get into that <laughs> we'll, we'll be hosting uh extended clip exclusively who knows we'll get a rogan deal or something like that but uh yeah watched you know people i i feel like i was a tubi pioneer you know i'm not gonna Mm -hmm. claim credit there but you know people making you know like oh the best movies are on tubi maybe the best movies are on rumble i don't know (laughs) 
Rumble. That is just ridiculous. <laughs> but it might be great. Hey, that might be a future sponsor. So Rumble, yeah. shout out. Yeah. Shout out to Rumble. We love our free speeches. Uh, if there were true free speech, people wouldn't get so mad at me. Um, <laughs> Malcolm, uh, final thoughts and a rating on this one? Yeah, four and a half bullets. I... I need to check out more of this John Mustache, John Mustache, as I like to call him in America, John Mustache. Um, and uh, because, yeah, this this was a very... Mustache like, John, who are you talking about? John Waters? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was, yeah, I, like the specific task that this movie accomplishes is, uh, it's, it's not, you know, it's... It's not a task that I feel like a lot of people or filmmakers would be willing to endure. Like you telling me that like it's all heavily scripted too. I'm even kind of more impressed by it just because it really captures like a sense of realism like in conversation like conversationally and I think it's not just I don't know people maybe people hearing this who haven't seen it is like well what's kind of like what's the purpose of this exercise of like three and a half hours of you know, just to realize that this guy's shitty. It's like, I, I could tell he was shitty from uh, five minutes of watching it, you know, but it's, I think it cut like the way it comes to its conclusions is just in a real complex way. That's, you know, but that, th- that feels simple because it feels realistic. So yeah, I was just really impressed by it. And I, I felt like, you know, we got to talk runtime. I felt like it moved super quickly for a three and a half hour movie. And like, yeah, yeah. I, I think a lot, lot, a lot of the best like conversation based movies, they do go by quickly because you are actually engrossed in their conversation for one reason or another. And, uh, it's I, like I a podcast, baby. Yeah, exactly. And I don't think this is, uh, it's like the ultimate podcast with visual flourish and hot people and stuff yeah, like no. that. Well, <laughs> people complain long- about long movies. Joe Rogan episodes are like fucking three hours. Yeah, and gonna- as I've said, after 45 <laughs> minutes, he's literally just going, duh, 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 duh. <laughs> yeah, the shot reverse shot that happens in some conversations is basically you're just watching Rogan. That's just if you want to, if you want to frame it that way, true. I mean, this Rogan, and then like it cuts to a red drapery, (laughs) just cutting to that red, dark red underlit drapery with nobody in front of it in forty (laughs) five seconds, and then back to Rogan just being like duh duh duh, and then you get an ad break. You know, I've learned a little bit about monetization on YouTube, and you know they know what they're doing there. Anyway, better lighting than the, the Rogan Studio. Yeah, of can make course, people of look course. A, a yeah, no. it is, if uh, they could put, if they could get like the high contrast black and white in some Rogan <laughs> episodes, maybe oh, I'd yeah. tune in. I miss the, the, the new studio. Do. Looks awful. It's too uh, like I miss the the drapes, kind of the Twin Peaks yeah. type vibe. It's a, uh, it looks bad. It looks bad. Yeah, bad. Now he looks like he's ripping off my studio. Yeah. <laughs> We should get some drapes in here yeah. to emulate the old school. American flag. Go Black Lodge slash Joe Rogan mode. <laughs> that's, that's kind of the balance of this podcast we've been trying to get forever, right? So Yeah, we should make an alt logo where uh, Chris Kyle is swapped out with Joe Rogan. <laughs> yeah, should we get a new three? The new and three then, wise uh, men of the podcast? Rogan, yeah. Lynch, and we need a third one there. <laughs> I don't even want to think about it. I, I don't like this idea. And I really hope none of our Photoshop savvy listeners do anything. About it. Uh, JT, any, f- or Malcolm, did you give a rating on I it? I did. You uh, said four and a half. Bullets, okay. Four JT. And a half. 
Uh, I'm going four and a half bullets as well. I mean, I like Malcolm going back to saying like, well, why, like, why are you going to watch three and a half hours about like shitty people when you know right from the beginning? And I mean, I feel like, it, at least in my mind, that is like some of my favorite type of art is about yeah. like people that are incredibly unpleasant. I'm certain like the, the two of you, just the people that are generally attuned to the podcast, you want to watch people do bad things. And also just like in something as like rich as this, you get to explore that psychology to like, I don't know, just various ends, like with what you were saying, Eddie, about like 68 and just sort of understanding the process of uh, how Leod's character has sort of veered away from being more actively political. Uh, I think, Malcolm, you had mentioned just sort of the like way people sort of lie to themselves and convince them to like go about their that their patterns of behavior are OK. Like all of that is like totally on display here. And it's just. I know compelling to watch that and sort of unlock these characters and uh, I don't know it's just legitimately like uh, moving at points even though it does have that sort of level of like cold remove uh, like the 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 titular whore monologue that happens is uh, just I don't know powerful and also again I feel like it's talking about like especially when you're tackling something with this that is very much so in the the women's lib like sexuality vein i think you have the potential to veer into misogyny there but it does like leave this room to breathe where like obviously i don't know i feel like if you think that like it's ludicrous because it's just obviously like the sexuality is not the problem it's the way these characters yeah. are doing it and uh just i don't know the vindictive petty way they treat each other and just sort of approach life very well said that's the we'll be right back on extended clip oh malcolm well, i was gonna say that's the quote of the episode it's not about what you do it's about why you do it you know that's, that's, <laughs> that's the moral that's the moral i got from this uh movie quote quote of the episode thank you we'll be right back on extended clip lawrence what would you do if you had a million dollars i'll tell you what i'd do man Two chicks at the same time, man. <laughs> no, it, it is it is funny just like watching the movie and then just immediately doing the podcast. I was like, damn, that, that kind of bummed me out. That definitely, yeah, <laughs> definitely kind yeah, of put no, me in a mood. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, it was like the first thing that I did this morning. <laughs> like, I woke up at like six a.m. because I had uh, front or uh, plans uh, with my buddy Tim to like uh i don't know we're doing like test shoot stuff for a short we're making nice and like uh getting like costume bullshit for it so i was like okay like he's coming over at like noon like i w i should like uh just like do this like first thing in the morning and like uh just like when scooter like woke me up at like six ish like just like threw on a pot of coffee and was just like just sitting in bed <laughs> watching this as yeah Quite a quite a bummer way to start out uh, start out the the day. That's cool that you're you're uh, you're sh like you're developing with your short like it's it's going on to the next stage. It sounds like where you're really getting the gear and whatnot. It's just some bullshit like stoner comedy like broad mm -hmm. thing that like by design we want to 
do something that we can just film quickly, like on uh, like iPhones or whatever. Uh, but it's the first time I feel like I've taken a script to actually storyboarding uh, and like talking to people, like casting like people in something in so long. So I don't know. I'm glad it's going forward. No, I I'm I'm actually meeting up with. David, who Eddie mentioned earlier with the Jack Black stuff, like oh yeah, I, yeah, I know yeah, David. Yeah, David, you know he lives in Los Angeles. Uh, no, yeah, uh, <laughs> I don't know. I, I always it's hard for me to keep track of everyone's knowledge of people. Of so course, sometimes of course. I, 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 well, he's David has been on the podcast. Before. True, true. I feel like one of those times you it was yeah, one in, of those times I I wasn't yeah. there, but I yeah. was. He's been on like twice at least. Yeah, and he was a super producer. Or, or in oh, yeah, super for- producer or intern. Yeah, I when forgot. He was uh, living with Eddie. Uh, well, either, uh, yeah, he was our Jamie. Yeah, uh, for a little bit. We also sat. He also sat in and listened in on podcasts. I forgot. He he has witnessed a lot of clip. Uh, bared witness. Bared witness. But yeah, it's just me and him. We we're just trying to make a short this year, and we're gonna meet up. Just nice. try to develop it, just because it is like. Like it's a use it or lose it type mentality, you know what I mean? If it's Fuck like, yeah, dude! Hell it's yeah, like it, It's like if I don't do it, like now, an aging like, woman's pussy. Exactly. <laughs> like, a, like <laughs> I'm like an old, like an old, old hot woman who's just about to lose her attractiveness, and yeah. I need to fuck. You're all just that. about to. You're just a woman about to turn thirty. <laughs> Oh, 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 that's the line. I was thinking like sixties, like when you need the rejuvenation surgery. Kegels, you get really getting the kegels to tighten my pussy. But um, sorry, (laughs) that that plot line on season twelve of Curb, the rejuvenation thing has been like I've just been thinking about it nonstop since I watched the episode. It's so funny. (laughs) Most people, you know. Most people won't go there, you know. He goes the Titans. I think Curb Your Enthusiasm has the most uh, vagina jokes of any show of all time, probably. <laughs> like, you could probably make a top ten Curb vagina jokes uh, list. Oh, yeah. There's the the episode where Jeff Garland is defending not oh, having a small dick yes. by saying she had a big pussy <laughs> yes. is so that's, funny. That's revolutionary. The, the fact that more people don't have that in their arsenal is like, that's something every guy should know. Like, you know what I mean? Every every guy should have that comeback. Locked and loaded. Another one, another one is, of course, the one where Larry David's referred to the young girl's rash on her pussy. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. It, Men's humor, it's, it's very dick-based, you know what I mean? It's like, uh, Larry's, well, Larry's, what I'm saying is I feel like it's almost more vagina-based yeah, exactly. than any show yeah, Absolutely, ever. yeah. <laughs> kind of kind of forward-thinking in a way. Very forward. Oh, yeah, pussy power for sure. Larry's pussy wearing pussy. the hat. <laughs> <laughs> I would love to see Larry. In, I, would love, I would love a pussy hat subplot. That's not, I could see that in Curb. Um, I had another one on the tip of my tongue, but you know what? Well, I don't want that on the tip of my tongue, so I'm not going to talk about it. <laughs> and it's pussy. That's what he doesn't want on the tip of his tongue. <laughs> Got him. Oh, boy. Um, we're back on extended clip. We're talking about the vaginal humor of Curb Your Enthusiasm, and we're also answering some emails. That's right. Extended clip podcast at gmail.com is where you can reach us with the extended clip promise. Now, look, a lot of people have asked me about the extended clip promise. They say, Eddie, 
You've said so many different things are the extended clip promise. Have I broken any of them? I don't think so. They can all yeah, be no, the extended clip promise. They call us the most honest podcast. <laughs> A lot of promises and we keep them. Yeah. But we like to, we, we don't like to refer to them as the promises. Everything is its own promise. No, it's yeah. This is the promise of the podcast. You write it. I read it. This one comes from Laurel. Uh, it says, hey, guys, I know you're busy boys, so I'll cut to the chase. Thank you. That's very nice. Uh, I've noticed some directors who were the best of the 60s and prior seem to not be as watched by the Gen Z letterboxed crowd. Fellini, Minnelli, Weiler, Hawks, and Berkeley are some of the key names I've noticed aren't as celebrated by younger crowds. Do you think more and more key classic era directors will slowly be phased out of the canon as the younger generation takes more control? Or am I being too cynical about the direction of what's passed on in film history? Hope you're all well and having a good one. Well, first of all, thank you for the question. I hope you are all well and having a good one too. Um, Yeah, the name that sticks out to me there is Busby Berkeley. Nobody talks about Busby Berkeley anymore, and I feel like there were references to him in, like, 80s sitcoms, even. You yeah, know? all the time. That yeah. was, like, a staple cultural I mean, reference for people Austin back in the Austin Powers day. is the Busby Berkeley-style dance. Like, yeah, uh, absolutely. In the pool. Yeah. yeah, that's... Uh, absolutely. I did not watch any Busby Berkeley in film school. I had to check that out on my own. Yeah. Um, the Gang's All Here uh, was the, the one that... Well, I mean, me. I feel like he directed less and did more like choreography yeah. there so i mean I yeah know. oh yeah he wasn't the director of that movie he just no i think yeah. he, he was he di- or, yeah i think yeah he directed the gangs all okay, here, but yeah. i feel like that's a rarity yeah yeah no most of his work was just as the choreographer yeah but i didn't watch any of it in film school weirdly um but yeah any, any responses to this one guys well i think it's kind of a hard thing to gauge right like the gen z like I feel like Hawks is still in pretty high regard. I think it's kind of mm-hmm. hard to chart what the Gen Z letterbox crowd is doing. Because mm-hmm. it's like, I think of the Gen Z, let, I guess I'm Gen Z, right? Uh, the Gen Z letterboxers. Are you? Yeah. Yeah. Well, what's the Malcolm's year cutoff 14. there? Oh, Malcolm is 14. But what's the year cutoff <laughs> it's, there? Well, I mean, it's... it's Born it's, in like 9-11? It's like a, I don't know. I've heard different variations, you know, like... I've heard some people say like 27 and under right now is Zoomer. I don't know. It's it's kind of all That's weird. It's all ho- it's all hogwash to me, man. It's a, you know, age is just a number <laughs> to, to me. Oh boy. <laughs> but not in regards to laws. That's where I do take age seriously. But I also think the Gen Z letterboxed crowd or like okay. I would say if that's your definition then most of letterboxed is gen z then probably at this point it's become such a popular app that's and young people are who use social media so yeah the letterboxed crowd i would say does not prioritize minnelli and william wyler and busby berkeley uh and obviously there are the smaller auteurist circles and stuff Mm -hmm. like that like i feel like fellini you're still gonna like you go to those movies, they're all going to have like a 4.2 average and like all the top reviews are five star raves and whatever. Uh, maybe it's just like the quantity of younger critics you can't really point to that are huge Fellini heads, but, I guess. It's I mean, the I only quantitative way of saying it because like still taught in film schools, still yeah. high averages on all the critical scores and all that shit. Like it, it's really hard to point outside of very small insular spheres to say anything about Fellini's fall 
uh, as a cultural standpoint. Because I feel like that's just still one of the touchstones of like, you make a reference to a classic European art house filmmaker. It's going to be Fellini or Bergman, kind of. Yeah. I just feel like in general, it's like, uh, I don't know, a lot of, especially thinking towards the younger end, it's like, and even like other generations, like people are like ahistorical, especially yeah. when you're that age. Like, mm-hmm. I feel like you're getting into movies like you're probably going to watch like a bunch of newer shit first, like even older generations. I feel I like they're gonna say it's not a zoomer exclusive thing. I yeah. feel like every, this is just cyclical. Like every generation, like at a certain age, like I did when I was 19, I probably was like, Oh yeah, no. I mean, if Wolf of Wall Street was my favorite movie I saw this year and everything gets better as it goes and it's the newest cutting edge thing, it's the best movie ever, you know? Like, yeah. Uh, I, I, and then you, you know, you kind of grow. So it's not, yeah, a Zoomer specific thing, but yeah, so I get what you're getting at there for sure. I think it's just how deep into it you want to go. Yeah. Like, I think, again, there are a lot of like, what's the fucking film critic that like Lex G cites a lot as like who does like the awards ace yes the awards <laughs> ace they're like again I think it transcends just um like generational stuff and it's just like what is your limit with like being into yeah. movies like I, how curious you are with this question and I feel like it implies that they're like watching other directors instead you mm-hmm. know right which I like oh they're watching drier over <laughs> like i don't think that's the case right like the people who are into watching older movies whether they be young or old they're you know recognizing these names you know maybe they don't prioritize you know fellini as much as like a younger cinephile back 20 years ago would um but i feel like if you're like if you're talking about just the general gen z letterbox crowd like that like the the majority basis of letterbox users they're not they're not going back to older movies in general, right? Like that's yeah. Like I don't think it's true. I, like, I don't think it's like, oh, they're choosing Dreyer over Fellini now. Like maybe that's just yeah. They're, the choos- way- they're choosing Greta Gerwig over Fellini. Yeah. So it's like yeah, they're just watching. That's the thumbnail image. <laughs> uh, Fellini washed Dreyer now popular with teens. <laughs> so like I, I the question I feel like maybe maybe I'm reading too much into that aspect of the question, but like. I feel like the people who are going back and watching older movies, like, I don't know, I think, especially like Hawks, like, I think they're going back and checking that out. And also, I guess another aspect is that, like, the canon, without the internet, right, like, the canon that was presented, right, was the pathway to, like, watching and getting into older movies, right? Like, like you were presented with Fellini up top because he was super popular, and there's a lot of writing on him. Now, like if you're a younger cinephile and you have access to download any movie you want, you could be like, you know, like that's not like Fellini sounds cool, but you know, I'd rather watch like the mother and the whore first. Like I want to, I want to get into like the super intellectual heady stuff before I get into, you know, like the quote unquote basic art house stuff. And so I, I get, I think that's an aspect to it is that you could kind of create your own path of education and like, yeah, you could definitely like the canon had barriers where like, like not barriers, but uh, guideline like guidelines to where like, you know, oh, you you know, you go back and watch like a DW Griffith short, and then you watch some Chaplin, and you go down like, uh, you know, a chronological path where like I guess everything's a little bit more out of order, kind of what JT was saying, like a younger person's more ahist- ahistorical, but like instead of going from 
you know, it's, it's not a straight line. It's, you know, you could go all over the place with it now. Yeah, no, things are definitely more accessible now, especially like just hearing like, like older, like film professors I had like talk about like taping things on like TCM at like 3 a.m. to be able to catch like shit like that. Now, like, I mean, obviously there's still like barriers of accessibility of like knowing the right people being on like specific like torrenting sites. But I, I think if you I, like want to do that digging, it's like easier than ever before. And yeah. so you don't have to go the conventional canon path. And you also don't even need to get on private trackers to watch a billion times more than people used to have access to. Yeah, like exactly. the, the private tracker elusivity thing is like, it's really nice to be on KG and stuff, but it's kind of like this, the Frasier episode I was watching where it's like, uh, you know, if you get into the exclusive spa and they're like, oh, there's a gold room. Oh, fuck. We have to be able to get in the gold room, you know, so (laughs) they're trying the whole time. Then they get in there. And of course, within that, there's a platinum room, you know, and so there's always going to be like more and more obscure, weird shit. But like if a cinephile is getting into stuff now and they go beyond the curated recommendations and or even if they use those curated recommendations of like the TCM channel on HBO Max or uh, Criterion Channel or just like the classics tab on fucking Hulu and Netflix like and start just like digging for stuff they might like. Yeah, it's easier than it'll ever be. The, the, the basic torrent sites, you know, it's not like the Pirate Bay only has fucking the new TV shows that came out. That's like fucking what at this point? 20 years of torrents like that's, yeah. people have been uploading even dvd rips of obscure art house shit on there forever you know and uh not advocating advocating for criminal activities necessarily but uh i guess i am we should call this episode uh how to torrent a movie and it's like the artwork for how to blow up a pipeline <laughs> <laughs> But anyway, whether you're streaming or torrenting or anything, it's just, yeah, the accessibility is just ridiculous. And I I, I think that it just makes sense that all canonical things are going to fall off a little bit because of the accessibility to just whatever the people like. Like, you know, if you're getting into movies, you still have tastes in other things you're not just like a baby opening your eyes to the world for the first time if you're like trying to get it more into movies as like a teenager or a 20 year old or whatever like you probably have your own taste in tv or music or visual art or anything like that and it's like you can just know what you would like i don't know i i just feel like that's the main reason that's the optimistic reason the pessimistic reason is that nobody fucking cares about vincent minnelli anymore and i'm so sad (laughs) (laughs) well yeah that's it's just an interesting question because it's like i feel like the question supposes like there are people there are like a younger generation watching older movies but they're not watching these ones i don't know if that's the case i just don't i don't know yeah. Well, no, I think the uh, the names listed, I feel like, were kind of a grab bag kind of thing. Like, yeah. you're, the, what you proposed, like, oh, they're not watching that because they're watching Dryer. It's like, I'm sure Dryer is also a substitute in that. It was on the bubble in the name selection. <laughs> but it's like, then what are the, the popular older names then that are... Yeah, yeah. no, I get that. Yeah. Yeah, that you know. uh, I guess it's more what's curated by the streamers, probably. Like, who has series on Criterion and stuff like that, and who does HBO Max have like 30 movies by. So thankfully it's good stuff. It's just, you know, pretty limited or whatever in terms of like, uh, 
if that's the be all end all, the good thing is you can always use that as a start and then branch out. That's the best part. Like the fact that, yeah, HBO Max has all the, er, like not all, but a ton of the early Chaplin shorts and like a bunch of the essential French new wave stuff and a bunch of classic Hollywood stuff. It's like, oh, that's the same app you already pay for to watch your stupid succession. So like you could, you could pay for your film education (laughs) on that app too. If you're so inclined, I am more into the stealing method, um, but I understand those who use the streamers. I, I have a, I, I use a max login. I get it. I got to watch my curb your enthusiasm somehow. I'm not downloading 13 seasons. That's just a convenience thing for most people. Like a lot of people. Yeah. With the idea yeah. Of well, that's how I am like, with TV. Yeah. I mainly torrent for movies. Like, first of all, out of obscurity for a lot of stuff that's just not on streamers, but also just like for better quality or whatever tv if the quality oscillates a little from fucking you know 1080 to whatever 720 i'm not gonna throw a conniption fit yeah yeah it's it's just like how they you know they used to watch tv back in the day with the antennas falling off and the image gets more fuzzy you know yeah to have your your uncle billy fidget in with the antennas yeah exactly (laughs) got foil wrapped around it it's like we're gonna get the better reception this time that's like going God. from 720 to 480 when you're watching, you know, when your show's buffering. You know, movies used to be better back then, but everything else was so much worse. <laughs> <laughs> like, they didn't even have, like, good rock music until, like, the very end of the classic Hollywood system. Like, that's crazy to consider. Because, like, I watch those movies, like, nonstop, right? I'm always watching Hollywood movies from the 40s, 50s, 30s, whatever, early 60s. And, you know, I trick myself once in a while. I'm like, man, I could just live in these movies. You know, it's like, it sucked back then. <laughs> you had to wear a suit all the time. Like, that's all the, the only time. Ba- that's that's the, my main sticking point is that they didn't have good rock music yet. You had to go like four years later. It's like, when were basketball shorts invented? <laughs> I don't know if I could live in these old times. You know, people are like, I... I, I I wish I was born in another era. It's just like I don't know, man. There's a lot of sweats and basketball shorts uh, available at a pretty cheap price. I think we're in a. What were they hooping in back then? Yeah, they were in leather pants or some shit. <laughs> cut off jeans. Uh, cut off jeans. Levi. That's the one thing I would like. I would dominate in basketball, even with not being athletic. Like at least at a high school level, just like knowledge of the game. You know, like those guys don't know what they're doing. Yeah, yeah, you could at least show up at a some sort of court and just just show up. I mean, think about the NBA back then in like the 50s just being like the janitors association, you know? <laughs> think about how easy it would be to be in like D1 college ball then. Yeah. Well, don't if Bob Cousy hears this man, he's going to be pissed off, you know what I mean? <laughs> so don't I hope this doesn't end up in the hands of Cousy. <laughs> Look, me and Koozie could chop it up. I, I'm into Koo- I'm into the coos. You could talk about Minnelli and Wyler, the the movies that young, most young people would talk about. <laughs> You're like these kids don't watch as much. Bob Koozie dropping fucking eighteen assists and watching some came running later that night. That's fucking. See, fire. that's the that's fucking that's lifestyle. <laughs> but you couldn't listen to any rock music. <laughs> 
just had to wait 10 more years. <laughs> I mean, you still have like Elvis, you know, and you had like doo-wop and stuff, but like, come on. What is music in like music. the 30s? Like before jazz, like what's like ballroom <laughs> shit? Like what the fuck are they? Well, you had to? like popular like jazz type music, like New Orleans jazz, like Dixieland type, like yeah. Woody Allen jazz. Uh, like that was uh, around in the 30s. So yeah. Like. True. When was jazz invented? I don't even know. Like that. real jazz? Like that's more like even, well, the yeah. way you know is jazz, more like fifties. Yeah. Well, Executive decision: Ken Burns jazz. What, yeah. What about the Dixie? Like I don't. Uh, I'm confused. That's now, in. So they, well, it starts with ragtime, which is like marching music, yeah, and okay. then they start swinging it a little bit, and that becomes jazz in the early part of the 20th century. I guess war anthems were probably a bit like shit you'd sang while you were a soldier. Those are a little more rigid yeah. than jazz. <laughs> jazz is kind of about swinging. Ethernet, well, not so, not not you know. in relation to jazz, but just what would be popular back then. You know what I mean? In the thirties, war <laughs> anthems. <laughs> People listening to war. Yeah, and not not listening, but like oh, like sold like when soldiers sing and they march. I don't know. <laughs> I think that was a big source of music back you then. You know they had the radio back then, right? Like, they had popular singers singing pop songs but, back then. But like here we are. We songs. can't name any of those songs. We can't. We don't know what they are. So maybe they were soldier. RYM chart for the top singles of the 30s. Number one, Strange Fruit by Billie Holiday. That's a bunch of Kanye stands getting in there doing their dirty work. Because then you go, it's like, skip James... Uh, the cherry ball blues, <laughs> skinny legs blues. <laughs> oh, Robert Johnson. I know Robert Johnson at least. Glenn Miller. I mean, my knees. Th- that's the thing. You get some big band swing jazz in the late thirties, so that's that's cool at least, you know. Okay. But yeah, if if you're going like vocal music of like thirty to thirty five or so, uh, this this segment is sponsored by RateYourMusic.com. <laughs> um, <laughs> Which you can also rate movies on. Kind of, they must have been pissed when Letterbox came out. That's true. I so most of the early '30s, like popular singles, are going to be like blues and folk songs. Oh, there's the Carter Family, like early country stuff. Yeah, okay, like, yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. See, I'm, I'm, I'm Blind Willie Johnson. You know, Cab Calloway and his orchestra. You also have some early novelty songs too. You have like shaving cream by Benny Bell. I'm gonna look that up. When was oh that? man, when that when shaving cream <laughs> dropped, people are going crazy. When was sha- okay, it's not 1975. It was like the 30s. <laughs> this Malcolm, do you know this song? No, I'm not. I'm not familiar. It sounds like you guys. Oh are. man, yeah, 1946. Oh, yeah. Okay, yeah. Um, well, it's it's a song where the guy keeps sounding like he's about to curse, and then he says another oh. word. You know. That's, uh, that's yeah. still popular till this day. Like, a uh, shut the front door. You know, people still like yeah, that. Exactly. People still yeah, exactly. Like that's that. still no, it's popular. A, it's a major shut the front door, uh, <laughs> like, pre- predecessor, you know? <laughs> but yeah, so they did have novelty songs back then. I like novelty songs. <laughs> Weird Al got me into music, man. Exactly. Other email uh, comes from, oh my God, this one comes from Matt Farley of Moturn Media. We were just talking about uh, Don't Let the River Beast Get Us Earlier. He says, dear extended clip, not enough people are talking about Summer of 42 from 1971. It's a great movie. It's the movie that Danny and his mom are watching on the TV in the great room of the hotel in The Shining. 
Kubrick clearly agreed with me that it is a great movie. I watch it regularly, and I never grow tired of it. It has a wonderfully relaxed pace without ever being boring. It somehow manages to combine elements of teen comedies and elements of contemplative art films. Oh, yeah. I love the show. Thanks for including us in your Best of 23 episode, Matt Farley, Moturn Media. Well, Matt, all you have to do is keep making good movies, and you will continue to be on this list uh so i looked in i looked into this movie and it looks really interesting uh more so for just like the overall arc of the director who is one of these guys who like started at the tail end of the studio era and went into new hollywood robert mulligan uh his most popular movie of course is the uh to kill mockingbird adaptation with gregory peck but you know he works from let's see his first proper movie is in 57 fear strikes out and his last one is in 91 so that's pretty crazy yeah damn that is pretty crazy uh anyway i yeah i want to watch summer of 42 i can't say anything about it though because i i haven't seen it it just sounds good i, I it sounds good you guys yeah, have seen that i have no? not it's watch listed man i, I take I, watch we take, listed. Yeah. we take your opinion you know seriously so and i take my watch list seriously my watch list i i, I deleted everything i stopped using really? the watch list forever nice. because it was just it's always too many it's always too many you know but right now i'm keeping it to stuff that i have access to like on my hard drive ready to watch so i can actually use that as a guide and right now it has like eh, maybe 25 30 movies summer 42 is on there it's on there, so I'm watching that in the next month or so. That's uh, yeah. I mean, compared to I got like 1,300 movies on the watch list, so it's like Eddie's got a VIP watch list. That's kind of I got it's a VIP a, watch a bigger list. deal to be on that watch list, and it's private too. Not That's available the to the public. Thing. You can't. See not it. available to the public. I do not like seeing people like look. A lot of people I've asked them about certain things about Letterbox. They're like, you use the activity feed like it's a real social media and like it's embarrassing. I'm like, yeah, I, I do look at the activity <laughs> feed and I don't like when I see people adding things to their watch list. It's like, who cares? You know, make yeah. it private. <laughs> <laughs> sure, I guess. Sure. Yeah, JT is getting a sneak peek at my private watch. Oh list. yes, I am. He's the, but he's I'm not going to. I'm not going to say anything. Uh, yeah, but oh, that's a good one. I've seen it. <laughs> that's a good one. I've seen it. <laughs> that's a good one too. This is JT. I have not seen that one. Watched list because he's already watched <laughs> yeah. everything on this list. Man, fucking putting in the double days. <laughs> putting in the double days like he invented fucking baseball. Um, that is going to do it for this week's. Oh no, you guys have any uh, final thoughts on this week's extended clip, or should we wrap it up here? We can wrap it up. I'm good. Yeah. All right, that's going to do it. You can email us, and you can support the show at Patreon. Uh, the link will be in the description. Five dollars a month. It's an easy. It's a great deal, folks. It's the best <laughs> deal in town. It's five dollars a month, and you get an extra episode every week. And if you donate at the executive producer tier, like for this episode that our friend EP Jake did, you will get to select the topic of an episode. Look, we went eighty minutes. We we went more than our contractually obligated sixty. By the way, now that we got that one bad review about half episodes, now I'm going sixty every time. I'm on the dot. <laughs> can't fuck your reviews, Matt. We take them like to heart. That. The we, look, we read the it, mean the stuff is, and we get sad. You know. Well, like I just don't get it. If you like the show and just are mad that you can't access certain parts of it, why does that mean one star? I think. Well, like, just tell me that you're mad. The show tell has me some, that you're mad. Some if you like the show, it's not one star. 
if you listen to even one episode, 60 minutes, that's not one star. It's not an honest rating. You're right. It's but not. I think, I think there's also, you know, a, a small aspect. We've had the podcast long enough where we have some former fans. So mm. that's a thing. That's something to look out for. The, mm. the former fans. Yeah, I used to be into extended clip, but I kind of grew up. (laughs) (laughs) I used to be into extended clip, and then I turned 27. (laughs) Yeah, once I stopped doing double features, I I stopped giving a shit about this stuff. (laughs) It kind of got boring. Once I got a girlfriend, it was over. (laughs) (laughs) Although I do salute any man who is listening to extended clip while in an apartment with their girlfriend right now, because I know there's a couple of you and you're, you're strong, brave men to do so. (laughs) Semper Fi. Uh, yeah. Uh, I, I don't even know what the next episode is by. Oh no. I, one of the episodes next week will be long arm of the law, getting back into our fucking classic Hong Kong action shit joined by, Eric Marsh, returning guest of the show, Mr. Marshlands himself. So that will be a fun one. And uh, we're also going to complete the home and home with Coaster Chat. Yeah, we went on Coaster Chat recently. So those boys are going to come on here in one of the next couple sessions we do. So you'll be hearing from the Coaster Chat boys soon. And the final piece of news, we did not announce it officially on the pod, but the winner of our listener poll on Twitter was... Takeshi Kitano, and that will be the subject of our late February mini-series. That's right. The last few episodes of February, I'm thinking maybe three episodes, maybe four, will be on Takeshi Kitano. Each episode will feature, uh, we'll focus on one film while I am surely going to be watching a lot of other stuff by him and filling in the gaps on the other segments, but, you know, I'm not going to make the listeners do all that prerequisite work. Each episode will be focused on one movie and we'll have a nice couple of weeks with our good friend beat takeshi you guys excited for that absolutely absolutely i've already started downloading those movies i gotta be honest i tried to rig the election for tarkovsky and it didn't even work (laughs) (laughs) it's fucking pathetic it's i can't believe i can't even rig an election damn (laughs) do mail-in ballots next time yeah (laughs) (laughs) i made a perfect algorithm (laughs) (laughs) all right bye guys